Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Michael Calderon Show. We're so glad that you could join us today. And um, we have a great show lined up for you today. And today is Saturday, June 24th. Uh, we hope that, uh, that those who celebrated Father's Day here in the United States last weekend, that, uh, that they enjoyed themselves. And just remember that every day is a day to honor and cherish those we love, whether it be a parent, a sibling, a friend. Remember that every day we should be cherishing them because tomorrow is promised to no one. I want to give a shout out to uh, some interns I've been working with from Nova University, both uh, mental health counseling interns and occupational therapy interns. Uh, They've been doing a phenomenal job, and uh, it's been great working with them. Uh, a couple of other announcements. Uh, for your pharmacy needs here in South Florida, remember Midtown Pharmacy on 41st Street in South Beach. Uh, make sure you uh, you go and see my friend there, Robert, who is the, uh, the lead pharmacist there and a good friend. Um, also, if you're in need of an immigration attorney, uh, either in South Florida or in New York, you want to look up the Blandon Law Group. Elizabeth Blandon is the principal partner there. Uh, Blandon Law Group, you want to go to their website. It's www.blandon-law.com. Make sure you visit them. Uh, if, you, if you're in need of a family attorney, to either last will and testament or, um, uh, you know, healthcare surrogate paperwork, power of attorney paperwork, uh, anything related to those lines, uh, you want to look up the Pazos Law Group, and their website is www.pazoslawgroup.com. Also, uh, you know, a few months ago, uh, we were helping out with uh, with a fundraiser for Chris Rose, and uh, that was happening in New Jersey. And uh, they do have another event coming up. Rock for the Roses. It's going to be on July 15, 2017, from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. There's going to be live music, raffles, prizes, all kinds of specials. Uh, go to the website, www.youcaring.com forward slash Chris Rose 750722. And you can also go to their Facebook page at www. Facebook.com forward slash Chris Rose Recovery Fund. Uh, it's a great, great opportunity to support family that's, uh, that's going through a struggle right now. Uh, also, um, if you need a good makeup artist here in South Florida, uh, we know a few, including Gia D'Esposito, and you can go to her website at www.gia. Despo.com. That's www.giadespo.com. Um, we also have a, a special gift here for our listeners uh, coming from the UK. Uh, as you know, Danielle Morgan and John Merrigan, uh, good friends and supporters of this show, uh, have sent us the release of the new song, Shy. So I'm going to play that for you now, and that's Shy, sung by Danielle Morgan, and uh, produced and music by John Merrigan, Fat Dan Music, coming to us from the U.K. 
So let's listen in. Maybe it's because I'm shy 
Another great hit, Shy, by Danielle Morgan and John Merrigan, coming to us from Fat Dan Music over in the United Kingdom. And uh, if you if you didn't get to hear the interview with Danielle Morgan, uh, you can you can go to our show page and uh, and listen to the interview uh, that was done with her a couple of months ago. Amazing background, amazing story, and uh, and what she's working on right now. And she's on tour. Uh, we're excited and and uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing her here in the United States. Uh, but you definitely want to follow her music, follow her career, and uh, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are law enforcement and military. And uh, Danielle started; uh, her, uh, she was a police officer. Uh, in the United Kingdom with the London Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, so it's interesting that, uh, you know, she segued into her passion, uh, which was music. And uh, our guest today, uh, who will be connecting with us momentarily uh, from Los Angeles, uh, is Rick Nahara. And uh, I wanted to tell you uh, some background on Rick and... Uh, you know, his, his amazing, amazing background and biography. Um, he is a American sketch comedian. He's a screenwriter, director, uh, producer, actor, author, playwright, coach, and national speaker. Uh, he's, uh, really has an expansive portfolio of credits in all forms of entertainment. And, um, We've been uh, looking forward uh, to this to this interview, um, and we're going to talk about uh, talk about his career, and uh, also talk about his book. Uh, one of his books, "Almost White: Forced Confessions of a Latino um, in Hollywood," uh, <clears throat> which which is a great book. Um, you definitely, you definitely want to pick up that book, and uh, I want to give you the call-in number if you have questions for for Rick. Um, the call-in number is nine two nine four seven seven one seven eight five. Again, that's nine two nine four seven seven one seven eight five. And if you want more information about Rick Nahara. You want to go to to his website, www.ricknahara.com, and that's www.ricknahara.com. Um, so he's currently a writer and guest star on Hulu's Emmy-nominated original series, East Los High, director of the CBS Diversity Sketch Comedy Show, national motivational speaker and coach. Um, He talks about issues such as diversity, entertainment, politics, and comedy. Uh, He also stars in upcoming film Taco Shop, along with MTV's Teen Wolf Tyler Posey. Uh, As a writer, Nahara has written for television, film, new media, and Broadway, um, and uh, has worked with an amazing cast of well-known actors. 
Um, his writing credits also include the nationally acclaimed stage play Latino on Broadway, in which he also starred. And he was one of only three Latinos to ever write and star in their own play on Broadway. Nahara is currently writing a feature film for Lionsgate Entertainment. Uh, he is an award-winning author of four books, Latin's Anonymous, Pain of the Macho, Latino Logs on Broadway, and his latest book, Almost White, Forced Confessions of a Latino in Hollywood, which has garnered national attention and five-star reviews on Amazon. He's been nominated for numerous industry awards, including two WGA awards for Best Writing for a Comedy Variety Television Series on Mad TV. So again, if you want more information, you want to go to his website at www.ricknahara.com. And um, before we bring on Rick, we're waiting for him to connect from L.A. Um, we have Joe Sanchez on the line. Uh, Joe, how are you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. And uh, and I know that you're you're here visiting South Florida. And uh, and I'm looking yes. forward to seeing you after the show. Looking forward to seeing you too. I'm I'm, I'm down here with my wife Lorraine visiting my youngest son, Eric. Uh, he lives Wonderful. in Papano Beach, and uh, it's a nice area. First time here for me. Wonderful. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you being on, Joe. And uh, I'm going to bring on uh, Rick Nahara. Um, he is now uh, connected with us. And uh, oh, great. Let Looking me get him on. hearing what he has to say. Wonderful. Rick, how you doing today? Rick, are you there? Can Can you hear me? Yes, Hello, I Michael? can hear you now. Yes, how are you? Oh, great. I'm doing fine. How are you doing? All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. I know we had some tef- technical difficulties uh, connecting you. Uh, from Los Angeles, yeah. uh, I, yeah. I appreciate your your patience and cooperation. And uh, you know, you being a lifelong comedian, I'm sure we could make a joke about it <laughs> and laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I have to wait a while to get uh, comedy's about timing. It can take me a time for a little time before I can joke about it. Right, a little time to to warm up and and wind down. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Rick, um, yes. while we while we were waiting for you to connect, I, I talked about your extensive background and and biography mm-hmm. and uh, and gave out your website as well as a number for people to call in. And uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to start um, um, first talking about your background and and you know what uh, what it was like growing up and and some of your your passions and dreams, and talk about your career and and also talk about almost white forced confessions of a Latino in Hollywood. And uh, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, um, I really enjoyed your book and, and read it more than once. And I, I don't know if you recall, but um, uh, you had sent me an autographed copy back in 2014. And it was, yeah, uh, it was around the time. Yeah. And, and it was around wow. the actually, actually, you know what? It was, it was around this time. It was, uh, it was June it was like June, July, uh, when uh, when you signed the book for me, 
and uh, mm-hmm. I was I was about to undergo surgery, and uh, and you know I always laugh when I open up the book because uh, I know you you signed it twice. You first signed it in pencil, and then you went over it in pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I'm always and, 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 Yeah, and you put in parentheses. P.S. Just noticed I wrote in pencil. <laughs> and I can't read the second, the second yeah. word you put there. Yeah. But <laughs> well, the, the, the scariest thing for me, I have horrible penmanship. I have dyslexia, so whenever people ask me to sign the book, I'm going. I don't know if I'm spelling the words correctly, so I'm going. How can an author be have dyslexia and all these other things and still write? Computers have spell check, but when I'm signing the book, there's no spell check. So That's I'm always right. thinking. Do I, <laughs> Did I spell thank you for your support, S-P-O-R-T, or S-P-P-O-R-T, or a thousand other ways, because I, I just can't see. Right. Well, I, I yeah. got to tell you, I, I really enjoyed the book. And, um, oh, thank you. And I really, I really recommend uh, people get a copy. Um, so let, let's talk about your background and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and your younger years growing up. Um, you grew up where? I grew up in San Diego, California. Paradise. Okay. San Diego, one of those beautiful cities. Um, and of course, I didn't know it was paradise. Uh, it's, it, you know, I, I, I never saw snow until I was 14. I actually ever experienced snow. It was always warm wow. and, and nice. That's why I went, I went to Chicago for the first time. Oh, it was Kansas City. And it was during a, like a blizzard. And I thought, how did people live here? I mean, it's like I wanted to evacuate everyone. Uh, like a National Guard come in and evacuate people because to me, snow looked disastrous. And then St. Paul came. I did a show there. and I was like, how do people live here? In fact, I started the show that way. I, I, I was off stage and I started the show by going, ladies and gentlemen, we are trying to evacuate you all. Please go to evacuation centers, especially the Puerto Ricans and the Cubans. So <laughs> I was trying to get everyone out of the city. But it was, it was really cold. So I'm not used to it. Got it. That, and 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 your family background is what? Totally Mexican. I'm Trump's nightmare. Um, and my family has been Mexican for hundreds of years, and we crossed over when there wasn't a border. We actually crossed like 1910 into New Mexico, right. and it was a it was just a uh, it was a I forget what they called it. It wasn't a state. It was like a territory. So I asked my grandfather, "When did you cross the border?" And he said, "When I crossed the border, there wasn't one, and there really wasn't. It's right. only now." that we're really trying to, you know, militarize the border and, and make it the way it is, which I work, uh, you know, in California, and I know borders don't work. All that whole thing that Trump's saying about we've got to build a wall, it's not going to work. It just won't. 60% of all people who come to America overstay their visas. They don't cross through deserts or cross over walls. It doesn't happen. So right. a lot of it is just, just people talking to in the end, what I liked about you, and that's why you know you, you touched me when you wrote me the nice email. I was like, I went through nearly dying. You know, it's what almost white's about. And after coming out of the hospital situation and being in a coma and all that stuff, I I grew a lot more compassion for just other human beings. And right, I think that's what our country our country's lacking now is compassion. Uh, and it's sad yeah. because we're such a strong country. And when when God gives you gifts like to be strong and to be wealthy and all these other things, powerful. It's not how much, judging a man how rich they are is not how much they have, but how much they give. 
And that's the difference. And I saw that in you, that you're a, you're a giver. You're out there working and, and serving humanity. And that's, that, to me, is a, a rich man. And so, you know, issues Thank you. about borders. Yeah, it's true. But issues about borders and stuff like that really come down to the idea of compassion. You're not going to be secure if you have a big wall around you. You know, I'm going to get my compound bigger because walls never work. The Great Wall of China didn't work. Hadrian's Wall didn't work. The German Wall didn't work. The Berlin Wall, all those things don't work. And even when, when Trump says, oh, look at Israel, the, the walls work. I've been to Israel, and they're great people, and I love Israel beyond belief. But I see walls, and I know that e- even they know they aren't going to work. It doesn't give you security. When I was in Israel, there was a stabbing uh, in the marketplace. Um, and I said, you know, and I'm surrounded by people with M16s and guns and everything, but I thought there's always a way to attack you. And so you have to deal with the root problem. You know, it's not a good, you know, the wall and security is your last defense. And that's not what the country that I believe in. The country I believe in is strong, and we don't need walls and things like that. We will do it without walls. And if anything, Mexico is our second, or I think our third largest trading partner outside of Germany and France combined. Those are our, our partners. We should be working right. more to strengthen ties between Mexico and the United States, not, not doing the complete opposite by creating a, a, a feeling of, of distrust to our neighbors. I mean, I've got to tell you, if I moved next to you, your house, and you saw me build a huge wall to keep you out, <laughs> it's like, what does the signal tell you about right. what we're doing? <laughs> You're you know, right. I'd, be, I'd have a big militarized wall and say, Michael, you can't come in our, our my, my area. I've got a big wall, the moat and everything else. And, right. and that's the problem. You know, that, those things don't work. And it's, it's really thinking about I – mean, And I at, at that the, point, you, to, better, you better not even think about coming to ask me for a cup of sugar. <laughs> oh, no. No. Unless, well, I will, but it'll, it'll be with my armed guards and M16s and a Cobra helicopter behind me saying, hey, neighbor, can I have a cup of sugar? <laughs> That's going to be a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know? That's right. So, so I, I think people don't see the way I see the world in terms of – it's almost an older generation. Like, like Trump is looking at security because he needs security. It's like that old man that, that's, you know, I'm living in the, the retirement home, and we've got big walls to protect us from these barbarians. But those things don't work, and – a lot of ways, what's happening now is the, is the old-school world of coal. People want coal. Coal mining has been – is not the biggest – you know, I saw John Oliver, and it was a really good report. He said, hey, there's 115,000 J.C. Penney jobs about to be lost, and you're worried right. about 90,000 coal jobs. And in the end, a lot of the guys who are running coal mines aren't exactly the warmest kind of people. They're in it for profit. And the truth is people in coal mining countries would have far more profit if they got into solar – and other alternative ways, and also coding and things like that. Let's get into the new world and not fight it and say we're going to stay back. I mean, I look at it this way. I didn't turn around and go, you know something? The whale oil industry in New England has collapsed. No one is out there hunting whales. Moby Dick has, has gone. All that world is gone. So we need to revive the whale oil industry in New England to bring back the oil that really lights our little lamps in our rooms. It doesn't work that way. We're not doing that. We need to go forward, and we need a leadership that makes us go forward. I live in California. We have 2 million undocumented people in California. 
we are the sixth largest or the eighth largest uh, industry, uh, uh, rich country. So we're just a well, country. We'd be the sixth or eighth largest, I think. With two million undocumented people, obviously it's helping us. It's not hurting us. It's actually helping us. So what's happened is we don't have the leadership to say, listen, guys, we have a chance that Latinos can be the solution, not the problem, because that's what they are. Let's work with them. Let's do immigration reform and things like that. Let's get this young group of Latinos, because our demographic is super young. That's our future. So how well we're educated versus incarcerated or abused or, or treated badly decides all our future. Because when I retire, I don't want to be having cat food for dinner. I want to have right. a nice check. I want to go. I can feel good about it. But I don't mean to be in a political rant because I know I can be comedic, but I have to tell you, comedy works in truth, and that's my truth. Oh, yeah. No, and, and, and your point is well taken. And, you know, comedy definitely works best in truth. I mean, even when I'm officiating a ceremony, you know, there, quite often there are funny things that happen during a ceremony. And I take those opportunities to help break the ice. I mean, you know, it's a different form yeah. of comedy, but, but you know, people no, appreciate that. People do. And, and I, I think, you know, a comedy in a lot of ways does speak on truth. And, and I think, you know, one of the beautiful gifts of, of God, you might say, God had a sense of humor. You know, God's a yeah. creator. And, and he made a, a very comical creation that he happens to love. And when you deny, when you deny uh, people the opportunity to be the most of who they are, we all lose that human potential. So I look at it in a compassionate world, speaks to people that are, you know, in a lot of ways uh, coming out of the hospital and seeing that world and working in diversity for as long as I had. I really think human potential and what we have is amazing, and we need to um, explore it and acknowledge it and make it grow stronger because that's human potential that's being wasted when we stop people. Right. Right. So I, I look at it and, and I go, yes. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I, I, I look at it and I say, you know, when I, I think of all the people I see and I have thousands of actors auditioned for me and stuff. I see this great potential out there, and it just needs to be harnessed. I think a lot of times people say um, with Latinos, you know, we don't go out and vote as much, or we don't do certain things. Sleeping giant. I don't think we're the sleeping giant. I think we're the uninspired giant, and we just get, need to get more inspiration. That's why I've been doing my new show, Latino Thought Makers Around the Country, which is about inspiring people. Right. And and did you always, in your younger years, did you always know that you wanted to be in entertainment and be an entertainer? Yeah, oddly, yes. And the funny part is, is um, um, you wouldn't think knowing me that I'd want to be in entertainment because uh, in a strange way, as a kid, I was, I was very quiet. I was a very quiet child, never spoke. In fact, I got flunked in kindergarten because they said, Rick doesn't speak. We think he's slow. <laughs> so they fucked <laughs> me. So my first academic world was cr crashed in failure in kindergarten. But, you know, what, what they didn't learn or what they didn't know is they didn't observe closer. And one day a teacher did and said, hey, 
I've been watching this kid. He's very smart. He just doesn't. So they retested me, and they found out that, hey, he's extremely intelligent. So what do we do? So a teacher started working with me privately. And uh, this will end up being a good story. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's, you caught that, huh? So a teacher, this woman, started working with me privately. And she would say, why don't you write a book? And I think, write a book? What is she talking about? And she showed me how she could make a book. She would do this wax paper and put cloth around it and take pages and sew them in there. And it would become a, a bound book. And I would write in the book. And she would, I would tell her stories and she would write them in the book. So the first book story I wrote was a story called The Colored Boy, you know, um, about a boy that was every color in the world and people never could be prejudiced against him because he kept changing his colors. And I realized years later, I saw the book and my, my mother had saved it and showed it to me. I went, wow, the color boy is me. That was what I did. I had to change wow. colors. I had to always all be these different things because in the world I lived in, in San Diego, it wasn't exactly the, the warmest place in terms of prejudice. There was a lot of prejudice that was going on at that time. I remember one day a kid, and I tell a story a lot um, because it was seared in my mind. A kid actually called me a wetback, and I had never heard wow. that term before. And I'm, I made a joke about it. I said, you know, it didn't sound like a bad word, dry back, quarterback, halfback, wetback. To play it <laughs> safe, I beat, him, I, I beat him up. I basically got in a fight with him and just tore him apart. Um, and the teacher ran up to me, and she goes, why'd you hit Bradley? Why'd you hit Bradley? Because he was crying. And I said, because he called me a wetback. And she looked at me without blinking eyes. She goes, are you Mexican? Because I'm very light in, for Mexican, you know, for San Diego. Yes. And I go, yeah, very proudly. I'm Mexican. And she said, well, then you are a wetback. And that was it. And I actually apologized wow. to the kid and said, I'm sorry I called you a wetback. I didn't realize I was one. So wow. I still didn't have a bad connotation until later. So that was the world... I grew up in, you know, and because of it, I looked at it and I said, look, I think God puts writers in, in different cultures to, to explain that culture of the world, explain their experience, our human experience, because in the end, we all share our human experience together. And so if a Jewish man, I was on a, on a train going to, from, I was speaking at Harvard, actually. So I'm on a train and two Jewish guys sit in front of me. I mean, the Paisley, the whole yeah, you name it. They were Orthodox. And <laughs> okay. I looked at them. And there's, we, there, the train is that my back's to one side, and they're facing me. So we're just basically looking at each other. And it's a four-hour uh, train ride or two-hour, whatever it is. And I, I looked at them, and I said, hey, what's it like being Jewish? <laughs> and the guys <laughs> looked at me. They smiled and laughed and said, no one ever asked us that question. And we talked the whole time about Jews right. and what's it like being Jewish. And I learned so much. And at the end of it, they gave me like uh, kosher food. I had kugel or whatever it was, it's like bread <laughs> pudding, all this great food. And I'm like, oh. And then I, I, I'm working at CBS. The guy calls me up a year later and goes, remember me, the guy from the train? I go, yeah. He goes, can I visit you at CBS? And I go, sure. So me and there's a picture of me and this very orthodox man in front of CBS together. And to me, that was the beauty of asking questions and talking to people. And I created a new friend. So right. that's the world I want to live in. The world that reaches out to people and creates more friends, not the Fox news world that gets people angry and looks at the problem and all that stuff. I'm talking about, you know, cause when you think about it, even though I was thinking about Fox news tonight, 
it's such a propaganda arm, but it's, it's not spreading a hope. It's saying, here's a problem, and that's how the media works. It. Here's a problem. We have a problem, and it's based on fear. So if we can get people to be fearful and, and terrified, we'll get them to do what we want. And that's not the world I want to live in. I want to be understandably logical and, and look at things and compassionate and factual, um, the, you know, and looking at the world. We're, we're scared about the wrong things. We're not scared so much, people that are running this country, about global warming. They're scared about Mexicans. And I'll, I'll say this. This is the public thing I'm saying right now. It is not Mexicans stealing your jobs. Yes, it is not Mexicans stealing your jobs. It is robots. Robots are stealing your jobs. Right. Automation is stealing your jobs. It's not Mexican. So if you want to build a wall to keep robots out of America, that, that might be good. But, you know, if you're trying to stop progress, which is nearly impossible. You know, I, I right. can't tell my kids now, once they got on the telephone, get off the phone. Now they got a phone. Wow, this is great. So either I move with progress and make it work for me. Or I, or I abandon it, and I know we can't abandon it. Right, and and you, you know, um, you, the story about riding with with the Orthodox uh, uh, gentleman um, took me back to to my childhood because I grew up in Washington Heights in New York City, and um, you know I grew up right down the street from Yeshiva University, and you know, Washington Heights is a true melting pot. And, you know, I had friends that were Orthodox. I had friends that were black. I had friends that were Greek. I had friends that were, you know, of Irish descent. And everybody got along together. We all played together. We didn't see, you know, the the color, if you will. We didn't see a difference in the color of our skin. And, you know, it it, it was so different. And, and, you know, and and I agree, like the the automation and the technology, uh, number one, has taken a lot of jobs, but it's also impacted our relationships. People don't talk to each other anymore. They text. No, they don't have have conversations. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I pick up the phone and I call people you know, um, to talk to them. I don't, you know, I mean, yeah, okay. I I may need to text if I'm in a meeting and I have a quick question, but, you know, I find that some people are shocked when I call because it's like, oh, wow, I got a phone call. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, imagine living your life and all of a sudden there was a text on a, a highway traffic sign that said, fall in love. Uh, right. Go on a date. All this world. There's, there's, there's not. It's not a complete picture. Language is, is about symbols, sure, and and acknowledging. But speaking is about emotion. We could hear right. someone's voice, the emotion. That's how come so many texts get messed up with people. You know, I, 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 I texted my wife recently, and it was a. I just didn't add a question mark, so she thought it was a statement. <laughs> so she goes, No, I thought you said, <laughs> you, you said, you said, um. Uh, so how it worked out, but it was this whole long list of, of, of everything went wrong without the question mark. <laughs> and I thought about it. It's like it, it would have been not a statement if she heard me say it. I was, I was like, uh, are you going to school? 
<laughs> right. You know, you're going to school. Right. So she's reinterpreting it. I'm telling, demanding she go to school. I was like, no, I'm not telling you to pick up my kids or anything like that. It was a simple as a question. Are you at school? I think that was it. Right. So we need to watch someone's face. We need to hear them speak. We need to hear the tone, all those thousand things. That's, that's really human interaction is when you go, because we can hear sarcasm really clearly. But you write yes. out sarcasm. It's not quite as clear. And those are the things right. that aren't – that we're left um, not having in terms of, of language because language is all interpret in, uh, very much interpretation. Uh, we have to do, agree on something. If I sit there and say snow, I have so many words for it, and I agree what snow is. But in the, the Eskimo language is like something like 24 versions of snow. Each, each culture picks up a different part of language. And, and uses it. And I think it's the same with, with um, what we do to each other. If I say Latino, what do you see? You know, I see my father, a great man who worked, lived in World War II, uh, fought in World War II, uh, actually went to Vietnam, uh, volunteered to be a government employee to fix jets there, was wounded, uh, a hero. I see my uncle when I say Latino, a guy from Boone, Iowa, who happens to be Mexican-American, was in Boone, Iowa. Joined right. the war at 17, was killed in a uh, Japanese prisoner of war camp by the guards. You know, horrible. Didn't you, horrible didn't, you write, didn't you write about him in your book? Yeah, I did. I wrote about him because I wanted his memory preserved. That's the reason yes. I write books. The reason I wrote that book was, let's face it, I was um, nearly died. You know, coma, all that stuff, you know, uh, as bad as it gets. Of course, at the time, I couldn't think I was that horrible you have to believe there's hope so you go i remember one point and i have such compassion for people in hospitals and things like that because they're making a decision to live you have to make that decision uh, there was a few yes. times where i had to make a decision of of do i really want to go through this horrible operations and, and survive at one point i remember i wanted to go to the bathroom simple as that it's a very human function and i asked right. the nurse to help me help me to the bathroom and she said, no, just go on your bed. <laughs> I thought, no, oh I am not going to do that. I crawled out of the bed and went to the bathroom. I was, and I had to make a conscious decision going, I'm taking my, my uh, tubes on me and everything else and crawling to the bathroom. And I did. So it, I remember that it was always a conscious choice to, to get well, to get better. It, it's, it's mostly what people don't realize is health is a lot mental. You know, I had to mentally yes. do that. So – and a part of that is prayer. Part of that is, is, is believing in a higher power, whether it's God, Jesus, Muhammad, whoever you want to say. But understanding that you're, you're human. We're frail. You know, it's amazing how tough we are and amazing how frail we are. It's ironic. And I'm sure you've seen in hospitals where someone's healthy and dies. Yes. And someone that you would imagine should die doesn't. And I was that guy. Um, I should have died, and I, I didn't. And so when I, when I came back from that experience, um, I, I really broadened what I felt was compassion and understanding a lot more. And I work in Hollywood. I'm, the, I'm in, the, in the shallow end of the cultural pool, um, basically in, the, in a world where, you know, riches is, is adored and, and beauty is adored. And we watch, you know, red carpets and all that kind of world. And I know those aren't the real values. And I, I, right. I, I've, I've come to learn that. And and um, 
when when did when did that happen with with the coma and surgery? How long ago was that? I think, before you I wrote the book. About, well, what happened was when when I was in the coma, uh, they couldn't find me. Uh, my wife knew where I was at, but you never want to tell people that you know Rick's in a coma. Or they found me basically bloodied in my my home, so people thought it was a home invasion or what happened. The truth is, is I had I had a horrible fever and basically uh, had a seizure from the fever and it was a pneumonia. And, you know, I didn't know that. I just, I, I wear my body till it drops, you know, it's the same way I treat my cars. Uh, in the car, it just, it ends and I go time for a new car. You know, like my poor car out there, like I'm just tearing it apart. But so I did the same thing with my body and overworked myself and, and it led to that. So hitting my head caused, Massive amount of blood loss, and when they found me, I was in a, I was in the Glasgow coma scale of three. That's what they said, which was weird because I'd never heard Glasgow made up coma scales. I didn't know that was one of their industries. So, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was very ill, and you know, I, I feel horrible for my wife to experience that. Uh, I feel horrible for my kids to, you know, my, to see me, um, so sick, and and you know, now that's what I most regret is the the people that love me to to witness uh, me so so damaged and hurt and that, that takes a lot of you know let's face it you know Latinos and Latino men we have a certain pride to be providers and to look after our family and be strong and all of a sudden I'm in a coma and uh, right weak and and causing massive amount of financial loss to my family every day I'm in there so luckily I have a great union that paid for a lot but. Um, if I didn't have health care, like most Americans, a great deal of Americans, I, I would have not survived. That's where I right. realized that health care is everything. And, and I think we should have a country that has universal health care. It's amazing we don't. You know, health care is a right. If you're born, you, you know, it's like I always notice, you know, and, um, and, you know, and I'm, I'm personally, you know, my, my feelings are, are different on a lot of stuff, but I look at it and I go, we should have as much compassion for a fetus as a fully formed human being. Right. Uh, and I look at that way and I go, you know, so I even, I even said, listen, uh, uh, I, I believe a, a fetus isn't a fully formed human being until it can drive. So up until 16, it's okay. That was my joke I was doing on the road because I looked at the whole situation and said, we need to care about people in all stages of their life, you know, and when they're born and when they're among us and when they're elderly and when they're young and all those other areas that we have to have compassion and care about the whole human being. Because if one of us is not being served and is dying or is causing diseases because they can't get help, it's a health issue and that affects all of us. Right. We're, we're, we need to start looking at our fellow human being as an extension of us. So the Mayans believe it. It's called, it's called in Lakesh. You are my other self. Jesus, you know, uh, preached in many respects, you know, loved your neighbor as yourself. It's right. all about looking at another person and saying, that's me. That's me. That's, that's, that's part of me. That's part of my human family. And expand your family to include others. Uh, right. That's a very Latino thing. I used to, when I grew up, everyone who came to my house, I assumed was my relative. You know, so 
I had I thought I had the biggest family in the world because everyone who came to my house was my relative. And it's not a bad idea to have later on in life to think that no, everyone who is, is our relative. It's our family. That's the world I want to live in. That's why, you know, almost yes. like the book really one most inspirational. It, you know, it's put out by Tavis Smiley and Hay House Books. It, it's a very inspirational book. And it talks about Hollywood and my experience, but really talks about compassion and love, which is the one thing I learned out of this whole experience. Right. And actually, I'm 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 going to uh, I'm going to order a few copies uh, because I I, I want to give out some gifts, and uh, I'd, I'd love to uh, to send them to you to sign, or if you could send a personal note, I'll put them in the book. But I have a few people that I want to give some gifts to, and I'm going to give them sure. copies of your book. Um, and how many kids do you have? I have three. Three. Um, oh, that just sounded so bad right now. I said that. I have three, like like a like a I have three. I, yeah, I have three. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I'm. A, I. It's funny how men and women react a little differently to kids. I remember my wife when she first, you know, showed. Oh, um, she came to. This is how she showed me that she was pregnant. She comes to my. I'm asleep. She'd woken up earlier, and I'd done a show that night. And she comes in the room, and she has a one of those pregnancy sticks. And she has tears in her eyes. And she, and she goes, look, we're pregnant. And she has tears in her eyes. And I went, okay, don't worry. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I'm not worried. I'm happy. And I was like, well, uh, I'm happy too. But the truth is, I'm like, oh, my Lord, a kid? Now, now for a Hollywood guy, a kid is like, you know, a sentence. Oh, you got a kid. Oh, okay. And then we right. had three all together. So – you know, I, I was graded by my wife. She taught me um, to to love being a dad. You know, I'm a, I'm a great dad. That's one thing I can say. I'm, I won't say I'm a great writer or a great producer or a great anything, but I'll say I'm a great dad because that's one thing yeah. I've made a point because I had a great dad, and so I learned from the best. But it's, it's and, and for how, guys, how old is responsibility. Uh, nine, eleven, and oh, nine, twelve, and fourteen. Oh, okay. Great okay. age. Well, ages. Close to so. close to my kids' ages, I have two. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and they're ten and fourteen. Ten and fourteen, and you know, and I think for women tend to go, oh my God, this is so beautiful, we're having children, and men immediately go to the economic problems. Oh, that's, right. this child's <laughs> got to go to college, and I got to get a car, and then, oh, what, what if they marry someone bad? And you know, you're going through every worst case scenario that could happen. You know, and for me, a big part of it, was I was terrified my kids would not be healthy. That was my big terror. Terror. I was right. going through my own mind, going, going, oh god, all the things I did to my body before kids. <laughs> you know, and they're super healthy, beautiful kids. So when they were born, that was the first thing I would check: are they healthy? And I had that because yeah. in, in my life, my, my brother was born with a, um, a small heart, all sorts of different medical problems. So I came from a family that had experienced a child that wasn't born, you know, perfect per se. Right. And it caused a, a lot of different financial and, and, you know, problems we had. But my brother's an amazing guy and um, a genius in a lot of ways. I, I and you, and you have, much. and you have a beautiful family. I've, I've seen photos of your wife and kids and, 
you really have a beautiful family. God bless them. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very very fortunate. I I realize I I you know I go through the same things people do where you doubt your career. You go, oh, you know, everyone walks up to me. It's like, oh, you're so successful, and I'm like, I've never felt successful. Um, probably that leads to success because yes. the minute you think you've made it, you you don't. You stop. So I've always right. felt I had to do more and had to be the best and had to try. And part of it was, you know, it was one form of nice thing that came out of prejudice in Little La Mesa was that any Latino there had to be the best of whatever they were. In fact, in my city of La Mesa, there was only three other Latino families really at that time. Uh, it was a suburb of San Diego and we'd left the Barrio Logan Heights in that area. And there was down the street from me was a guy who lived on a chicken ranch in Mexican family. And up the street was another Mexican family. The guy down the street is Juan Vargas. He's now a congressman in Congress. He went to Harvard and graduated. The other Mexican down the street was Ellen Ochoa, the first Mexican-American astronaut, and me. Wow. That's not doing too bad. So imagine no, not we at had all. To, go, to go through and go, we need to be great. We need to work hard because all eyes are on us in terms of we are the only ones here in these schools. I was the only Latino. When you look at a picture, and I'm not that dark. I'm pretty wero, which means light. Uh, my <laughs> kindergarten picture, I swear, for some, I don't know if they changed it or photoshopped it, but I look like the darkest kid among all these Opie-looking kids. I mean, it looked like Opie from, from Mayberry RFD. Every kid looked like he could be on Mayberry RFD all around me. And I look slightly different, so I did feel it. But, you know, becoming better and working on it and forcing yourself um, – was how it was the quadrant that we had to live in. It made us tougher and also made us become the best. Right. And what's it been, uh, what's it been like being a Latino um, in the entertainment industry? And what have those challenges been like? Well, well the challenges is always them understanding you because I worked on a show for East Los called East Los High on Hulu. It was a great show and it did really well last two seasons and I was writing that uh, there it was a it's a it's a show about Latinos I mean there's Latinos East Los High the predominantly Latino school but uh it dealt with a lot of different issues kids go through and that was fun now I'm in a room with a bunch of writers who happen to be uh mostly people of color so it was a shorthand how we wrote this but then I was on other shows where it's a very white room a very Anglo room and you have to understand it's not a problem. It's Anglo at all. It's a question of really knowing your subject, what you're talking about. It's like Mark Twain wrote about the Mississippi. His idea of the Mississippi is far better than my idea about the Mississippi because he's, he's experienced it. So when I'm writing a show like in Living Color or shows like that where African-American, I had to really study the culture to understand it, to avoid the, the – the opportunity to just do a flat one dimensional character. I want to do characters, you know, and that's what I find. And I was, uh, you know, I, I speak around the country a lot and uh, I was talking to a guy and I was, uh, he came up to me and it was much in Silicon Valley, Mexican guy. And, you know, and we're all, we're all prejudiced. I don't care what anyone says. I'm prejudiced. I admit it because prejudice just means lack of knowledge and lack of knowledge causes you to have different conclusions. So there's this guy, he walks up to me. He looks – he's kind of huge in weight and all that stuff. Very, I would say, stereotypically Mexican. 
And he's and we start talking about his job. And he goes, well, I worked in a taco truck. And I and in my mind, I went, of course you did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's not a stretch. But then we're talking. He starts talking. He goes, yeah, but I did it only for one day. And uh, I didn't like it. It was really hot. So I started learning coding. And by the time uh, I was eight, I was uh, 10, I started to code. And then uh, Java. He's naming up all these things that I couldn't even understand. And I went, you know how to code? That's amazing to me. And what he knows. So my own look at him and going quickly, because that's how our minds work. Our minds are, we see someone, we have to make a quick mental judgment. So if I right. say, what's a Latino, you have a judgment. If I say, what's a Jew, you have a judgment. You have, oh, because those words elicit a picture. So I looked at this guy and said, Mexican, yep, looks Mexican to me. Looks okay. Worked in a taco truck, done. I'm done uh, learning about him. <laughs> I got it. Then he goes, coding. Now, whoa, stop a second. Coding? You do coding? Oh, yeah, that's how I make my living now. I, I do a lot of coding. I'm working in Silicon Valley. And he's an executive. So I'm looking and going, he blew away my stereotype. So we have to be open, all of us, to change our, our, our views and understand there's, there's many different ways to look at people and cultures and be open to it and not stick right. with one version. And I'm married to an Anglo woman, so she's, she's beautiful and great, and there's cultural differences between us. And I'll, I'll tell you one right now. One day she goes, let's go to, I want to surprise you. I want to do something really fun. And let's take the kids. Her idea was fun. She wakes me up at 6 in the morning. I get in the car. I'm just exhausted. I don't even think. I wake up. I end up in a farm. And she goes, it's a you pick them farm. We're going to go out there and pick strawberries today. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking to myself, who would take a Mexican to a you pick them farm to pick strawberries and pay for it? I go, I go, first of all, I can understand me going picking strawberries and getting paid to do that. But to, to pick the strawberries, do the work, and pay for it, that's totally wrong. It's <laughs> totally different. She thought that was black. Right. I'm like, I'm picking strawberries going, I never wanted to be here. This is wrong. So it was, uh, but those, that's where the comedy lies. The comedy lies in, in finding the human foibles and the differences and all those things. But in the end, we're all far more similar than different. That's the truth. Yes. Absolutely. Um, we have a, a question uh, coming sure. in. I'm going to connect uh, author Joe Sanchez. Uh, he's the author of, of four books, uh, including True Blue, A Tale of the Enemy Within, where he talks about his time uh, with the New York City Police Department. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm going to connect him at this time. Joe, how are you doing today? Hey, Batos, how you guys doing, mi amigos? As you know, hey. I'm half Mexicano. Yo soy Mexicano from way back, half Puerto wow. Rican and half Mexicano. So, oh, wow. Yeah, That's... Rick. Uh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding, man. Yo soy Puerto Rican, Boricua. No, I, <laughs> I, did a, I, have, I wrote uh, a movie about Puerto Ricans. I did a movie called Nothing Like the Holidays. Check it out. It's about Puerto Ricans Rick, and Christmas uh, um, in Chicago. Okay. It starts John Leguizamo oh, and Alfred what, Molina. What, what, that's what Guzman? Yeah, I wrote that. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I met Guzman. I met Guzman years ago when I, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I ran into him in the Lower East Side before I even got involved in writing a book, but I had a uh, script. And first, he, I know he read it, and then he tells a friend of mine, he says, I want to play Joe Sanchez. 
And I told my friend, no, no, listen, there's no way this guy can play me. Look at him and look at me, okay? No offense, but he's a good guy. I mean, he's got that titty bop walk. But uh, mm-hmm. listen, man, I mean, you're a comedian. I like to, I, I like to joke around, too. But when you watch mm-hmm. Guzman, it's like uh, the werewolf coming up, you know, <laughs> after oh, the, yeah. uh, the boom. <laughs> No, yeah, but, well, but no, well, I, I said, hey. but but anyway, I saw that movie. But anyway, no, uh, uh, I just want to also comment, tell you that I know what it is when you when you're uh, signing an inscription in a book, okay? Yeah. And uh, if if you err, <laughs> you feel lousy. If I err for some reason, I just get another book and start all over again. <laughs> and uh, I know, but, I, I, uh, I, I, I got to try that. No, no, I, I'll just send him another book. But uh, also, you know, in regards to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, which I call Hollywood Sodom and Gomorrah, because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is my opinion. Uh, yeah. The uh, Latinos are not getting their fair share in the movie industry. And I, uh, well, you yeah. know, 5%, yeah. 5% of the Latino, 5% of Hollywood actors are Latino. Half of them do not work. And the ones that do work get menial work, if they uh, make a police uh, uh, drama, movie, a war story, uh, when it comes to police, we play the drug dealers. When it comes to movies, we don't have heroes. Nine, 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 uh, there are nine Congressional Medal of Honor there Puerto Rico, and then you got the mm-hmm. Mexicanos that have more. Okay. Yeah. If, when when I when I saw that movie in, in uh, Saving Private Ryan with all those thousands of extras. And there was not one Latino to represent us. It upset me. I got a little angry. I commented. No, I, I made a comment. I said, I, I said this, I, and I wrote a comment um, to Mr. Uh, Spielberg. How dare you? How dare you? We served. And if you notice in the end of the movie with Private Ryan, the guy that plays the character, goes to pay his respect in Normandy with his family to pay his respect to the man that uh, was, died for him, and you see the camera panning. It pans right to a cross where it says Mike Martinez, if I recall the right name. And I said, there it is. That's an actual Latino that died in Normandy, mm-hmm. buried in Normandy oh. with other Latinos. Yet Spielberg did not have the decency of putting one Latino. I don't care if he had put a guy saying, hey, Gonzalez, duck, something to give us recognition. And it wasn't until they started with, we were soldiers once, because I served with the first air cab. I was wounded in Vietnam. I served with the first air cab, mm-hmm. second and the seventh, fifth and the seventh. And when they were making that movie, and I, I had contact with the guys involved in the movie, I said, don't forget us. And then before, and now, and they said, we're not going to forget you, Joe. We're going to make sure that they do right. And then you notice when Mel Gibson, when he's, he's playing the character of Moore, of uh, Colonel mm-hmm. Moore at the time, before they depart to Vietnam, he says it. We, we have a diversity of soldiers here. We have a captain from Puerto Rico. Well, Puerto Rico. We have an agent. Yeah. I, when I saw that, I, I knew for once they were giving us recognition. But, yeah, and, I mean, and the, this the, is my opinion. No, it's not an opinion. I mean, it's true. It's factual. It's, it's my father served in World War II. My uncle died in World War II. My father served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. God bless his soul. Vietnam. Yeah, and I went overseas to entertain the troops. I was in Diego Garcia, the staging area for Afghanistan, 
about mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I made sure that I served the troops by performing for them. And to me, that was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. They, it was right. funny because I, I was Skyping my wife and, and she was talking to me and she goes, well, you seem upset. And I didn't realize it. I go, these, these kids are coming up to me calling me a hero for coming out there to entertain them. And, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm no hero. I, get, I tell jokes. You guys you get shot at, you know, and they would tell me stories of what they experienced. And it was very touching and very hard to uh, right. see that world. But, but also made me realize when I saw Private Ryan, what I realized is my dad was a, a landing uh, craft operator. He basically put the right. – when they do Saving Private Ryan, when they're storming the beach, my dad did that at Tarawa, which was one of the worst battles of all time in the middle of the Pacific right. at 17. So that's, that to me, at 17, he's in Tarawa going, landing troops, then going back to the ship to get more troops, and then landing again mm-hmm. to go through that experience five, six times of, of terrifying work and, and what he did. I, I got to know my father a little bit better because I had no idea right. how bad it was. And, right. and I think when you see, see movies like that, mm-hmm. we need to show Latinos right. in them because I they say don't, this way, uh, listen. Yeah, but if you bought a TV, you'd want all the colors in it, right? Well, the same way. It's Hollywood. It's like oh, if I watch a movie, okay. I want to see all the colors. Right. Now, let, now, let me tell you something. I'm a combat wounded vet. When I got home, I'm also, I was a Port Authority police officer for three years. I was NYPD for 12 years. Okay. When you get a chance, you go on my – you Google Joe Sanchez, NYPD. Just Google it and you read my biography. Or well, batch 3712, okay? Now – I've, uh, I've uh, written uh, four books, okay? I got Eddie Velez. Eddie Velez is an actor. Eddie Velez is doing my screenplay, okay? We're trying to get I know the movie Eddie. going, okay? Mm-hmm. You know Eddie? Well, he's, he's yeah, ready I, my I, screenplay. I oh, he's cool. Oh, he's ready my he, He's a good guy. Uh, he, he, as a matter of fact, he starred in that uh, True Blue, the TV series in 19, uh, 1990, 91. And uh, mm-hmm. he was also, yeah, so he's doing my screenplay. And I'm supposed to be doing a documentary. Le problema mío. I want to start Spanish. Talking Spanish here. It's all right. The problem is, okay. Uh, I'm Latino. Okay, I know what it is to to be an NYPD cop, and I know what it is to 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 work this, the the mean streets, and I know what it is to have guys uh, overlook your success because there was a lot of jealousy in that job, and I work with good cops, honest cops. And there were cops I didn't want to work with. But nobody, and I'm telling you, nobody has my story, okay? The Joe Sanchez Picon batch 3712, nobody. Because I got locked up as a cop because I locked up a lot of drug dealers. I was set up, falsely set up by the job, by bosses on the job, and by drug dealers. And when I came out okay, and I didn't have that support of guys going to the trial, see how I was doing, or seeing how my family was doing. I went through a lot. When I finally was exonerated, the, uh, uh, the uh, Daily News wrote me up as Injustice System Chaos Super Cop, and they had written me up before as also the arrest machine, and the Diario picked it up again. With all this publicity, with all this publicity going for me, I was not even able to get my job back because I wore a wire. I wore a wire, and I, I, called, I ratted against two bosses. You don't do that in the NYPD. You're out. Even though I got exonerated, they wouldn't take me back. Benjamin Moore, the police commissioner back then, the first black police commissioner, said he's not coming back on the job. He's a rat. 
but I was able to become a correction officer, and I was I, I became a correction officer at the age of 42 to get my guns back. Now, what cop goes into sing sing in the belly of the beast after not being able to get back on the job and works in sing sing and come across in the yard in the galleries of guys he locked up? I did, and I did it to get my reputation back, get my stigma off the bad stigma I had, and get my guns back. There's not one cop in my story. And then I got, I went to Kaksaki State Prison. I saved an inmate's life, got almost stabbed, and I had to tell my wife, I can't do this no more. And we moved to Florida. And look, fortunately for me, uh, I'm 100%, the VA takes care of me. But there's not one cop. And I'll tell you the truth. If, and I'll tell it to anybody. If, if, I, if, if it wasn't because my name is Joe Sanchez Picon, Robert De Niro, and all these other guys in the business would say, I want that guy's story. Nobody has his story. And that, but I'm going well, to keep going, and I'm going to try to do it. Eddie Velez, he says, Joe, I believe in you, and I want, your, I want your film. I want people to see your story, and I want a TV series on you. But my name right, Joe, is Joe Sanchez Joe, I have Picon. To, I, I have to cut in Joe Sanchez Picon. Go ahead. You know, we I got, have I got, to, go ahead, we have to go ahead, start winding you know me, down I, here. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. But you know me. I tell it I know. Thank you. No, Joe, thank you for your, your service and what you've done for this country. And a lot of times those stories aren't told. That's why I'm in Hollywood trying to tell those stories. But even you remember that movie with Ben Affleck where he goes over to Iran and gets yes. out the hostages? He was, yes. The character he played was a Latino, but they never mentioned that in the movie. I, I know that. <laughs> I know that. Which, which is like amazing to me because. And I also thought, as a comic, I go, it's also ironic because they sent a Mexican over to Iran to, to cross a border with a bunch mm-hmm. of Americans, which is right. like um, uh, illegal immigration in reverse. It was bizarre. But I, I thought, that's who I'd send. I'd definitely send a Mexican and go, okay, you've got to get into another country. We've got to get you out of here. How are you going to figure it out? Right. right. But that's the, the true story. Right. Yeah, tell, we're going to tell the true story. Yes. And Mike, I and, didn't mean to uh, rant, but uh, you know my, my no, PTSD okay. catches up to me once in a while. And you know, it, it, I know. And, and and the fact that he works in Hollywood, he knows. I you know I I, I just had to let it out. You know, I have to. Vet That's okay. It, That's all right. I'm going to send you a bill for. I'm going to send you a bill for psychotherapy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, that was that was Joe Sanchez. Uh, thank you so much, Joe, for for calling in and. Uh, I'll uh, I'll connect with you after the show. I'm actually going to go uh, meet up with him uh, later on because he's he's here in town. So I want to meet up with great. him. Um, Rick, yeah. I, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. Uh, I know uh, I know you have a busy day ahead of you. Uh, you. I think you're doing some coaching and some teaching today. Is that right? Yeah, actually, I'm on the board of Field, which is an organization started by Cesar Chavez that is educating Latinos. Uh, um, it's starting ESL programs, doing really great work. And uh, so I've got a meeting with them and then I, I do, uh, I'm going to figure out, I've, I have some, I have to, I'm writing a screenplay for Pantaleon um, pictures and I got to you know, do that today. So my days are pretty packed. I'm hoping that, uh, and plus I speak a lot. So I'm, I'm really hoping to just, uh, I look at this way. If I can pull off two hours of free time with my kids and wife, I'm a happy guy. And I think today at one, we may, uh, I may actually go to the beach and just do nothing. Uh, Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Good for you. And, and, you know, my love to, to your wife and your family. Uh, thank you Thank so you. much. You know, 
for for everything you do you know uh you you are you are opening eyes and ears and hearts um to to many important issues in our society today and you have a way of doing it by bringing comedy into it which quite often is a good way to carry a message because it's it's less uh, confrontational and it's a lot easier yeah. for people to hear it that way um yeah if you can make people laugh and, so you can make them think yeah absolutely and you know you're welcome to come back on the show anytime um I I feel like I needed another hour or so, <laughs> but we'll 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 get that some other time, um, and uh, and I'll be in touch soon because because I want to I want to get those books, um, and for li- any listeners that want to want to follow Rick, uh, you can follow him on his Facebook page, Twitter, uh, go to his website and sign up for the newsletter I did. Uh, you want to go to www.ricknahera.com. That's R-I-C-K-N-A-J-E-R-A dot com and uh, sign up for his newsletters. Uh, Rick, have a wonderful weekend. God bless you and your family. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on the show. Any you, any Michael. closing right. comments? Okay. Closing comments, uh, just love each other a little bit more each day. Thank you. There you go. All right. Wonderful. Uh, so there you have it, folks. That was Rick Nahara and... Um, you know his his career uh, has been amazing. Um, I, I know he's he's going to continue to do amazing things. Um, so you definitely want to follow his career. Uh, follow him on on Twitter and Facebook, um, and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we've had a wonderful show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, uh, you can always send us a message through the show page. Um, and remember the call-in number anytime you want to call in, 929-477-1785. Have a wonderful weekend, and uh, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.